I've had uh, two cups of coffee this morning, <laughs> and I'm still not bubbly. <laughs> so, what do I do, brother? <laughs> My name's Gray. Uh, I am a pastor at this church in our downtown congregation, and uh, excited to be with you this morning. It's a special day. Uh, every Sunday is a special day, but uh, even more special day because today is our fearless leader, Scott Brown's day of birth. And so he will be here during the second service today. We gave him the week off, but be sure to say happy birthday to him. I debated on doing something to just call him out or to say his age or, you know, something. But I will just say what Tyson said before the service. Our senior leader is a little more senior this morning. <laughs> um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. You might have noticed we, we skipped over kind of a significant section in the scripture, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we are aware that it's in there, uh, and it is a beautiful passage of scripture that it kills me to not even speak about this morning, but the reason why we're, we're skipping over it for the time being is uh, we are building a, a whole series on this later in the year, uh, where we'll spend four weeks just in this one passage, and so we, w- we are kind of saving it and uh, trying to land this, this uh, Sermon on the Mount plane by Easter. And so we're going to come back to the Lord's Prayer. We do believe in it. We do trust it. We love it uh, and excited for that series coming up. But we're at verse 19 today. Let's read this together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. You guys watch a lot of uh, romantic comedies. Men in the room, nod your heads. We know you do. Um, I've seen a fair, fair number of them. You know, if, if you watched a lot of romantic comedies, you know that one of the most uh, pivotal moments in, in any movie is the moment when one person says for the very first time, I love you. Right? That, that moment is always significant uh, in a romantic comedy. Uh, and as a culture, we put a lot of, of emphasis on that moment. The first time you say, I love you to someone, and perhaps we put way too much, I think we probably do put way too much emphasis on that first time and don't really talk about what love really is um, in the movies. But let's just grant for a moment that, that, uh, that the first time you say I love you and you're seeing it in a movie, you know it is a significant moment because it all depends on what comes next from the other person, right? That's the pivotal moment. There's only one good answer to that statement 
I love you. There are lots of bad answers. Lots of bad answers. One answer gives reassurance, builds the relationship further. You know it's going to be all right in the movies. Lots of other answers, if there's anything other than that one answer, spells trouble, challenge, and possible disaster to the relationship in the movies, right? So the bad answers, you know what some of these bad answers, if you've seen these movies. I love you, one person says. The other person says, are you sure? I love you. No, you don't. 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 That one hurts a lot. Harrison Ford, you know, and Princess Leia, Star Wars. I love you. I know. <laughs> All right. That one's good. Even worse, I love you. I don't know what to say. Ooh, that one stings a lot. The worst one of all. One person says, I love you. And the other one says, thanks. <laughs> That's the worst. Nothing worse than hearing that. There's only one good answer. I love you, too. Right? Or maybe Jerry Maguire, you know, shut up, you had me at hello. Um, might be, but that's the same sentiment, right? I love you, too. There's only one good answer to the question. I'll begin with a, a bit of levity, you know, this morning, because uh, where we're going to turn next is pretty deep and challenging. Um, because Jesus is asking a question of us this morning that there is only one good answer to. There's only one good answer. There's only one answer that gives reassurance and establishes the relationship with the Father. And there's lots of bad ways to answer this question. And I find it extremely challenging. We've talked about a lot of challenging things in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been here, you know we've talked about anger. We've talked about sexuality. We've talked about adultery. We've talked about uh, divorce. We've talked about hypocrisy. But what I see this morning challenges me more so than any of these other things that we've talked about on a deep level because it's so stark. It's, it's so polarizing. If you notice, there's kind of three different little sections to our passage this morning. And in each one of these, Jesus presents this kind of stark, polarizing choice. Um, and there's two things that are opposite, right? The first one is you can either store up treasures in heaven or you can store up treasures on earth. That's the choice. Uh, the second section, the, the lamp, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's either going to bring light or it's going to bring darkness. And the third section, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's so polarizing and so challenging. You can't love God and money. The question that there's only one good answer to is, what do you treasure above everything else? What do you treasure above all else? What is your treasure? We know what treasure is. It's something of great value, something that's precious, something that we delight in. The thing that we would give everything else to get or to keep 
the thing that you spend your life trying to get more of, the treasure. And there are lots of bad answers to this, to treasuring these things above all else. I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm saying treasuring them above all else. We do this. We treasure money. We treasure our purchasing power. We treasure um, this perfect career. We treasure our families above all else. We treasure our houses above all else, our way of life, our future, our whatever becomes the bad answer for the thing that we treasure above all else. What do you treasure above everything else? There's only one good answer. We're going to lead our hearts to it at the end. But I want to ask these questions of us this morning that I think Jesus is asking in each of these three sections, three questions to get at this idea of what's your treasure. And the first question is this. I want to ask you, what do you store up? What do you store up? Jesus says this in verse 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. He presents this, uh, this contrast. Right? There's a negative command first and then a positive command. Do not... Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And just to, to get this out of the way, because I know that a lot of us are thinking about this, uh, and I don't want us to distract from the challenge of the passage. Um, you may be thinking, is Jesus condemning all forms of saving money? Is it wrong to save up for a rainy day? Uh, we know that's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, go to the ant it's, you know, it's this picture of the ant who stores up food in the, uh, the summer so he, he can eat during the winter, and it's a, it's a, it's a wisdom thing, right? First uh, Timothy 5.8 says that those who don't take care of their family in a financial sense are worse than an unbeliever. So th- the Bible does not teach that saving money is wrong. Putting aside a percentage, you know, saving up for the rainy day. So let's just... Know that and put it out of the way and hear the challenge of this passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying your life, as he says elsewhere, does not equate to the number of possessions that you have. Your security doesn't come from your bank statement. These things, they don't provide the security. They don't provide the, the, uh, the comfort or the identity that you need. We like to store up things but he gives two very practical reasons for not storing up first is things can happen to your stuff passively that you have nothing to do with Uh, the passive harm that can come the moth and rust destroy this is a picture of the natural elements that take away everything that we own Uh, this just happens there's there's an entropy to the stuff that we have stuff falls apart moth and rust would be um talking about the things that, that they most valued in, in their culture. So in this culture, uh, the moth would destroy clothing, garments, which were very valuable. And rust destroys precious metals. And these were the main source of wealth in Israel. And he's saying, you cannot depend on these things because they naturally fall apart. So true in our era as well, maybe even more so. Stuff falls apart all the time, right? We have something in our culture 
called planned obsolescence. Have you ever heard that term before? Uh, where where it's the stuff that is made is made to fall apart quicker um, or to be more technologically out of date faster so that we continue as a culture to consume and pile up electronics, etc., coffee pots and whatever, they fall apart because of natural things, passive harm. But then, also active harm, where thieves break in and steal. The word there, to break in, is actually to dig in. The th- thieves dig in and steal. That w- In this culture, they would keep their valuables in a part of their tent or a part of their house or, p- or underground where they lived. And so th- a thief would find where that location was and dig in to the house or dig into the ground to steal. It's talking about the vulnerability that we all have to thieves. I saw that this week. Um, there was a burglary in my neighborhood right across the street from me. Um, so the house right across, I can see it from my kitchen window, uh, was broken into and not the smartest criminal in the world, okay? Uh, so we, we wake up in the morning and we see all these news you know, teams out right in front of our front yard and uh, they're interviewing people and they're saying because there's, there's been this bur- burglary and this, this thief broke into this house uh, across the street and uh, the alarm is going off. They have an alarm and he doesn't leave. Okay, he stays there and the police show up and, uh, and he still is in there and so he locks himself in a room at a to try to like barricade himself against the police and then he sets the room on fire. I guess he was trying to like create a distraction or something, but just not the brightest guy. He comes out coughing, you know, from all the smoke and like surrenders himself to the, to the police um, and gets caught. Thieves break in and steal. It happens. Clo- that could have been my house, right? Some of you are saying that's what you get for moving downtown. Um, <laughs> it happens in the burbs too, people. Thieves break in and steal. It could have been my house. We don't even have an alarm despite what the sign says in the yard. (laughs) It could have been my house. And you think, well, maybe you should get an alarm. Yeah, maybe that would be wise, but it didn't stop my neighbor, right, from having their house burned from the inside and a thief breaking in to steal. It's vulnerable. We have these illusions of security, like an alarm system or whatever. We're living in a certain area of town, but thieves do break in and steal. Not just our physical stuff. Nothing is safe. The stock market isn't safe. Our home isn't safe. Your, your uh, credit card identity isn't safe. These things are all just made up almost. Like, you know, our wealth is what we see on a computer screen. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth because these things happen, but do store up treasures in heaven, the positive command. <coughs> What does this mean? To store up treasures in heaven. What, would, what was Jesus meaning when he said that? I think from the context, what he means is this. It's the opposite, right? He's setting a contrast. That do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Rather, do the opposite, store up treasures in heaven. So if the opposite of storing up stuff for yourself is this, to give it away. To not be tied to this pile of stuff that we create for ourselves. Jesus confirms that in in Luke chapter 12. He says this, almost the exact same kind of wording 
and it reveals to us what he means by treasures in heaven. He means just giving it away. It says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. See what he's saying? Give away your stuff. You will have treasure in heaven. Living generously. Now, we're not talking about saving again. We're not talking about being wise. We're talking about the, the human condition of our hearts is to see that pile grow higher and higher of stuff or other things that we treasure and to find our security in that rather than and what we should be, which is Christ himself. Because this treasure that we store up in heaven is imperishable. Moth doesn't destroy, and thief doesn't break in and steal. I think Jesus' primary application to us is money. I mean, uh, I think that's because he says later, you can't serve God in money. Um, but let's talk about money for, for just a second. Um, and apply it to our hearts because Jesus loves to talk about this. Um, I'm, we're in good company when we talk about money because Jesus devoted somewhere between 15 and 25% of his teaching to this topic. Um, so depending on how you define this, treasure, possessions, money, he talks a lot about our stuff. And he talks a lot about the heart because he sees those two things as tied together, Right? Uh, it says so in our passage, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus is talking about money here. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we saving for, if you're saving? What are we stockpiling for? Is your goal to, to get to the end of your life and have the biggest pile? Why would we do that? What, pur what purpose is that for us? The Bible calls that foolishness in a number of different places. To see what you have, to build up bigger barns for yourself, to see everything and to find your security and your happiness in that. Just a little bit of perspective for us. If, if you make, if your family income is $32,400 a year or higher, okay, that doesn't cover everyone in this room, but if your income is $32,400 or higher, you are in the 1% of the world. The top 1%. You make more money than 99% of, of people that are made in God's image around the world. Now, that's not a shame thing. It's not a shaming thing. It's not about being ashamed. It's about being aware. We are in a bubble in this room, okay? We're in a bubble. Are you aware of that? Do you think that the reason that God put you in that bubble, because he did, it's a gift, right? Whatever we have is a gift. And you say, I worked hard for that money. Of course you did. We work hard, but where did you get the ability to work hard? Where did you get your, your mojo from? Where did you get your brain from? You got it from God. Everything that we have comes back to God's gift to us. Why did he give you what he gave you? Is it so that you can inch a little bit closer to that 0% mark? And that be the whole focus of your life? To, to move from 1% to the top 50% of that 1%? Again, we are not saying stuff is bad. We're not saying 
the things that God has given us are bad to enjoy. We're not saying leisure is bad. We're not saying that, that having income is bad at all, that you will not find that in the Bible. We say that all the time. We say that Jesus is not um, advocating asceticism, meaning you separate yourself from the world and you never, um, you know, you, you just give away everything that you have. We're not saying that. We say it often. Stuff is good. But maybe we say it too much. Or maybe what we don't say is that not only is stuff good, it's stuff is dangerous. Because, hear what Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But to know when enough is enough. That's a, that's a wisdom stewardship decision you make with your spouse or, or whoever you share this with. When is enough enough? Because at some point, Living simply, uh, you know, and, and giving away is the way to, to, to living in God's kingdom. There is no correlation between wealth and happiness. There is a negative correlation between wealth and happiness on the whole, actually. And yet we keep pursuing it. We know that we can't take it with us. And yet we continue to pile it up. Uh, I heard a story about a, a man who um, wanted to challenge that you can't take it with you, uh, you know, statement. And uh, this old miser, he called a minister, his minister, a doctor, and a lawyer to his deathbed. And he said, they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try to take it with me. Um, here are three envelopes, one for you, minister, one for you, doctor, one for you, lawyer. It each has $30,000 in it. When I pass away, I would like you to take these envelopes and throw them in the grave with me. Will you do that for me? And they agreed to do it. And sure enough, the man passed away. They're at his graveside. They come up and they throw the envelopes in with the dirt. On the way home, uh, as they were driving together, the minister said, uh, my conscience is, is bothering me. Um, you know, we, we really wanted to, to build, uh, build out our new sanctuary. And a lot of people will be blessed by this. So I took 10000 of the dollars, and I only threw in 20000 And then the doctor said, um, well, if my, my minister has confessed, I need to confess as well. Um, I, I really need a new clinic. It's going to bless a lot of people. And so I took $20,000 out, and I only threw $10,000 in. And the lawyer looked at them and said, I'm disappointed in both of you. I threw in a check for the full amount. <laughs> you can't cash that check. Why are you storing up? And storing up and storing up. Jesus is primarily talking about money, I think, but he, he uses this great word treasure, right, which is just this broader term. It's like, what is your treasure? It may not be money. You may not have any money to treasure. Like, that, that may be you this morning. What do you treasure? There are other things that we can store up. Our reputations. Isn't that so interesting that that's how we describe our reputation? I need to build up my reputation. Like it's this quantity, this thing. I'm going to keep building up. I'm going to store it up. 
memories. We store up memories. We, we, we store up the, thi- the times that we remember in the past. That maybe that was a better time in your life, and you store it up, and you treasure that time over and against what God may be doing in your life right now. You store that up, and you look to that, and that was, that's what's precious to you is a different time. We store up time itself. You know, we, we make other people think that we're busier than we are because really what we like to do is store up this time for ourselves and our, our goal really is to get to a place where uh, no one can impose upon me because this is my time. What do you store up? Two more questions. These are a lot quicker here. Not just what do you store up. What do you delight in? Jesus says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It seems like Jesus is being random here. He's just been talking about storing up treasures on heaven, treasures on earth, and now he switches to this eye lamp kind of imagery. What's he, t- what's he talking about? Well, in Scripture, the eyes and the heart are connected. All right, you only have to read Psalm 119 to see that connection. Just, just read it this afternoon. Over and over and over again, it switches from the eyes to the heart. Eyes, heart. So verse 10 says, I will seek you with all my heart. Verse 18, open my eyes so I can see you. Verse 36, turn my heart towards your statutes. Verse 37, turn my eyes from worthless things. The eye and the heart are connected. And so Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Also, your eye is the lamp of your body. And what he's talking about is this. Your eye is connected to your desires, what you see, even the way that we talk about this, what, what illuminates you. you know, what, what's your vision for the future? We know that, that our eyes are connected. What we see is connected to what our hearts want. It was that way from the beginning. When Eve was tempted in the garden, she saw that the fruit was good and that, and that it was desirable to make her wise. The eye and the desire connected. The eye sets the direction of the body. It's the lamp. It illuminates where you want to go. What lights you up? What gets your desires going? What do you look to, Jesus is saying in this section? That's the second question. What do you store up? What do you delight in? What do you now serve? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's that stark contrast again. You have one master. And the imagery here is of slavery. And we we kind of bristle at that. Um, in our modern culture. But what the Bible teaches is that whatever you do with your life, uh, you become a slave to that thing. The Bible says, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. And yet, Paul talks about being a slave to righteousness. Our hearts are built to serve. That's, that's how we were created. And so it's asking us, what do you serve? You cannot serve God and money. Now, why would that be the case? Because God is this all-consuming thing. He is the king. 
He doesn't share His glory. He is the right orderer of our loves. And so when you ask the question, what do you treasure above all else? You see God at the the top and everything else. There may be good things. Again, they are good things. But everything has to be in relationship to Him because ultimately you serve Him, not something else. Or if you do serve that something else, it's called idolatry. And it's a wrong ordering. It's not the ordering that you were made to be in. Because God is not a means to an end. God is the end. He is the thing that your heart was created for. And when you see that, then everything else takes its proper place. We've asked three questions. What do you store up? What do you delight in? What do you serve? These are all three. of They're they're really getting at the same thing. What is your treasure above everything else? And there's a dynamic relationship between these things. I think that's the genius of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, what you store up, you will delight in. And what you store up and what you delight in, you will come to serve. And use those in any order that you, that you want. What do you serve? How do you answer that question? I'm guessing it's something that you store up and that you delight in. Because that is what the human heart does. What's your treasure? There's lots of bad ways to answer that question. There's only one good way to answer the question. I'm going to read Matthew 13. If you have your Bible, you can just turn a few pages. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus tells this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is like this. It's a treasure. It's a pearl of great price. God and his kingdom must be our treasure. That's the only good way to answer the question. And it helps us answer the other questions. What do you store up? Well, you store up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. Now, by giving away what you have and not being tied to all this stuff, being loose with it, not saying it's bad, not saying it's bad that you have it, just be loose with it because it's not what you have that makes you who you are. You store up things, treasures in heaven. What do you delight in? Will you delight in God himself? Is that what you think about from time to time? Is that what, what delights you, who God is? Just looking at one portion of who he is from the scriptures or um, just delighting in him. It, it's the way, I mean, the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, I I have nothing. Who do I have in heaven except for you? I desire nothing here on earth but to know you. Paul says, I look at everything I've got, and he had a lot. Credentials, reputation, success, probably money. Consider it rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Know God through Jesus Christ, 
has become my delight. What do you serve? You serve the one true God of the, of the universe. You live your life after him. In our kids' catechism that we use our kids, we ask the question, why should you obey God? And the answer is, because he made me and he takes care of me. If he made me and he takes care of me, he, ha- he has the right to set the direction for my life. He's the first in the chain. He's what I treasure above all else, and I serve him. And I store up him, and I delight in him. I was thinking about, uh, I took three years of Latin in high school. I've forgotten most of it, but as I was reading this passage, this Latin phrase kept coming up in my head that you, you might know if you've read some academic literature. It's the phrase, um, sine qua non. Sine qua non. And what it means literally is, without which nothing. And it's this great thing that captures an essential condition, the thing with which, without which there would be nothing. And what this passage is saying is this. God and his kingdom are our sine qua non. It's the essential condition. It's the thing without which we cannot exist because he is the order of all things. He is the God of the universe. And his kingdom must be that for us, the essential condition. And what he's doing is holding up a gentle mirror to us. And I do believe it's gentle. Maybe it's felt a little harsh this morning. But he's saying, because I don't think any one of us in this room is is truly living this out. He's holding up this mirror before us and saying, take a look. When you have downtime, what do you daydream about? What do you most fear? What do you get most anxious about? There's something there. What do you think you would not be able to live without? What's your treasure? Increasingly, because of the gospel, Jesus Christ, it can be God himself. And I don't think any one of us are there. That's the beauty of this. He's inviting us into this. None of us desires God like we should. And yet, he is, he is drawing us closer and closer to him to see him as the more beautiful thing so that we don't keep storing up and we don't keep delighting in and other things. We see him as, as the most valuable thing. He's our treasure. And he gives us freedom then to enjoy all the good gifts he's given us. The freedom to enjoy our families and the money that we have and possessions because they're in their rightful place. They're not number one. They're not the thing that's setting the course. You cannot serve both of them. You serve God, and he tells you what to do with your money, and he tells you what to do with your family. That's, the, that's what he's saying here, and it's the most beautiful way to live. Let's pray. God, would you give us the heart of the psalmist? Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen.